Open your Bibles to Malachi. We've made it, hallelujah. The final book of the Old Testament, Malachi. So Matthew, back one, and you find it. So here we are. Uh, So a little bit of historical context around Malachi that you need to know or maybe want to know or maybe you're just going to kind of be settling in as I'm talking about this part. Uh, uh, Based on kind of this just reading through Malachi, I mean, he actually brings a uh, just a message of judgment, which is not unlike most of the minor prophets. So this is another one of those sermons that uh, you're going to leave here really encouraged today. Uh, some of you will leave really encouraged today, and some of you will leave just a little bit uncomfortable, and that's okay. It is the Word of God today. Uh, and, and so uh, we, we find this uh, Malachi writing uh, in, in a time when the people of Judah had kind of really turned away from truly worshiping the Lord. And they kind of turned away. They were kind of doing their own thing. They were somewhat blasé in what they were doing and how they were worshiping the Lord. And, and unfortunately, it left them open to more judgment. Uh, though the salvation of the Lord had come to them during the time, it literally left them open to just the Lord speaking more judgment. And really, rebuke is what I would say uh, that comes from Malachi uh, toward the people during that time. And so... Um, so Malachi certainly wrote to the people of Judah, uh, and, and it really comes clear in this first uh, part of chapter one about why he was writing. Uh, and he was talking about the Persian governor and the things that he had done and how he had kind of uh, set them up and where they were in the particular context of history. Um, but he talked about, uh, Malachi talks about temple sacrifices, and, uh, and, and so really that, that really tells us a little about where, uh, where it was in the historical context. Uh, so if you remember back from Nehemiah, Nehemiah had sat on the wall, and he was there while the temple was being restored. And so most scholars believe that Malachi was, was happening probably 100 years after Nehemiah, and, and after the temple had been restored, and after they had really started to worship the Lord again. And so, uh, and, and they'd been doing this for some time, and you'll see that um, um, you'll, you'll see that there was just become some apathy about it. And I thought, man, that is very appropriate for 2023. Apathy in the church, apathy in the people of God, apathy in the things of God. Uh, and, and so uh, we'll see what Malachi has to say then and really to us now as we get a little bit further into this. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament uh, that we obviously see here. Uh, and he really offers a little, uh, get a little bit of a glimpse into who Israel is. Uh, I mean, they were a nation that, uh, that had been specifically chosen by God. Uh, that's what we see all through the Old Testament. Uh, they were direct descendants of Abraham, uh, which means they were part of the chosen people of God during the time. And, and they had a rich history being the Jewish people uh, I mean, think about the, the rich history of the Jewish people there. They, uh, you think about the, uh, uh, the exodus from Egypt. Remember that from the Old Testament times? Whenever they paraded out of Egypt after all the plagues had come and, and, and they left Egypt, basically taking any, you know, all kinds of treasures with them during the time. Uh, we saw the faithfulness of God through the lineage of getting to King David. Uh, and then they also, after that, you, you saw a lot of judgment that came to, to Israel during that time. Uh, they were exiled eventually from the promised land. And, and so they had both good and bad things that happened to them. And uh, we see all that again 
through the Older Testament. And, and, and so again, uh, when you get to Malachi, you're probably a thousand years post-Abraham. So that, that's kind of how long it had been since Abraham had been called. And, and, and you're getting like a thousand years later and we get a glimpse of what that was like uh, uh, in Malachi. And we see again, just time after time, punishments of God, blessings of God, deliverance from God, people falling back into the same old things that they had fallen into before. And we see God rebuking them time and time again. It kind of all comes to a head here in Malachi. Uh, and so even with the Lord's blessings, we see that they strayed a lot from the Lord. They needed God's intervention as much as ever. And so this last book of the Old Testament is really God's final statement uh, to his people in, in helping them realize that they can't do it on their own. They can't do it on their own. They couldn't then... And they desperately needed the deliverer who was promised to come. And that was Jesus, who, who they kept foretelling to, the Messiah that would come. They all had the wrong idea of what kind of deliverer he would be. But they couldn't do it without someone interceding on their behalf because there just was no other way. And that same message is for you and me today. We get called in a certain way. We get directed by the Lord in a certain way. And we try hard. We, we try to do better. We try to try harder. And we just can't do it on our own. If that's you today and you're going, I can do this on my own. I don't need the church. I don't need God. I don't need, any, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Then you find yourself just like the Jewish people were during this time, throughout the entire Old Testament going, you'll never be able to do it on your own. You need someone to intercede on your behalf. And so we're going to look at that as we get into Malachi. Uh, and so let's just do that very thing. Let's read the first Five verses of Malachi. Here's what it says. Uh, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Here's, what, here's how it starts. I have loved you, says the Lord. That's a nice beginning. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall, you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So let's stop right there. So what are God's first words that he just says right off the bat? What are they? Yeah, I have loved you. I have loved you. And I'll say this to you today. Today, God loves you. God loves you. What is the most famous verse in all the Bible? John three sixteen. what does it start? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God loves you. That's the message that, of the scriptures is that Jesus came. He loves you. He cares for you. 
The Lord loves his people. The Lord accomplishes his purposes through his people. And, and, and so that's a great encouraging message. And that's, I think, what Malachi was intending to say, or the Lord was really intending to say through Malachi, hey, I, I've loved you. I love you, Israel. And how do they respond? How have you loved us? How have you loved us? I mean, it's like they're saying, we ain't giving you no church clap today. God's love was ongoing. God's love was continual. God loved his people. But they were like, hang on. I don't believe this. They kind of snubbed their nose at God. They kind of grew cold toward the Lord after all this time of God delivering them. Remember, the temple had been rebuilt at this point. And they were just like, bah, whatever. Whatever, I'll take it or leave it. Yeah, I know, whatever, God loves us. Does he really love us? I don't know, it doesn't really matter at this point. They live life, basically, they live lives of convenience. They used God when they needed him to. They'd turn to him when they needed him. If they didn't need him, they just kind of went about their own lives. Sound very familiar? We could write this today. This would be 2023. Write the same thing. Hey, pastors stand up all the time. I stand in this pulpit week after week after week and tell you that God loves you. God loves you. Many of you go, ah, really? How's he loved me? I mean, how's he loved me? I'll tell you the truth is, when you love somebody, it's not always just ponies and cotton candy. It's not always roses. It's not always fun. It's not always just the, the funnest, thing, funnest time we've ever had. Sometimes love has to be different. Sometimes love for us uh, shows itself in different ways. It's not always comfortable. True love is strong. True love is strong enough to bring rebuke. I mean, if you love me well enough, then sometimes you need to say some hard things to me. And thankfully, I have friends that are willing to do that. I hope you do as well. I hope you're known well enough to some people that love the Lord and love you well enough that you have people that are, that are willing to say some hard things to you about your life, about the, the direction of your life, about where you're going, about how things are playing out in your life. Sometimes love has to be strong enough that it chastens. That, we, that, that again, hard things have to be said. But it's often, almost often for your good. It's for our best good. I mean, we all know the, we all know the passages from the scripture that says, you know, love, uh, 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 love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it, is not dis, it does, it's not, does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, we, we like those ones, Right? We like those pieces of it, but we often forget the verses that says that God chastens those whom he loves. Those don't necessarily make it up on a, a, a board in our house. We don't hang those over the doorpost whenever we go out. We think, usually hang something that says something very encouraging to us, which is good. I have encouraging messages over my doorposts. I don't hang one that says, the Lord chastens you. Now go and have a good day. 
But sometimes it becomes necessary in our lives that we remind ourselves that the Lord chastens whom he loves. We, we do that as parents. Our, my kids don't understand it whenever I have to get onto them for something. Or they don't necessarily like it. But I, I chasten my children because I love my children. I want what's good for my children. I don't want them to go down wrong paths. We do that as parents. And if we parents know how to do and give good things and even chastening to our children, how much more does our Father in Heaven know how to do those kinds of things? So the Lord reminds Israel that he loves them and, and, and an example of how he has loved them. God points out the fact that he chose Jacob over Esau. Remember, they were twin brothers, and, and Esau was the older one. He, he came out first, and, and, um, and the blessing should have gone to Esau, but God reversed things, and he, uh, he set in, in, in place a, 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 a series of events with Jacob and Esau, and, and God gave to Jacob the birthright and, and the blessing and the promise, and, and being descendants of Jacob rather than Esau was proof of God's love for Israel. He's like, hey, this is how I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make things happen so that you, Israel, are my people that I'm calling to, and I'm going to make this happen. And we go back to, to, the new, uh, to the way back in the Old Testament to find out that that's actually where things started. And in this text, we see that the descendants of Esau actually will never recover anymore. They don't recover even after Nebuchadnezzar's reign uh, because God has determined that Jacob's descendants would be the ones that actually continued on. If you check your history, you'll see that King Herod, he was the last of the Edomites from Esau. And from there, honestly, boom, they just disappear from history. They're no more. So God says, I've, I've called you to myself. It is you who I've chosen to bless. But then he goes on and he changes gears in what he's saying in um, verse 6. Sorry, weather's got me all jacked up here. So look what he says in verse six. <clears throat> a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am, am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? So uh, God says this. He says, look, a father receives honor from his son. In fact, under the law, it said, honor your father and mother. That was one of the laws that God had given to his people during this time. And, and a master receives reverence from the people uh, that, that work for him, for the slaves, from the people that he had during the time. And God is saying, look, if, if your father is due honor in, in how you honor your father, then how much more honor should be given to me? And if I am, God says, if I am your master... If I'm truly the one that, that you call master, if I am your God and the only God, then why are you not giving any respect and reverence to me? I'll, I'll tell you why I believe, and we take this from the text, it's because apathy had set in and people were just going through the motions. Apathy and going through the motions. Let's keep going, verse 7 and 8. 
by offering polluted food. So he says, how have we despised, oh priest, uh, let's go back to the beginning of that. Uh, he says, uh, son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my fear, says the Lord God opposed to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say, how we despise your name. And then he goes on, he says, by, here, here's how you've despised my name, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept it or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And so basically he says, would, if you were inviting the governor to your house, would you go find some sick animal in your herd and actually go, hey, let's serve the sick one to the governor? He was like, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't find the, the worst one that was out there because you honor the governor, because you would want to give honor to him if he came and ate at your table. If you had the, uh, the uh, we, we got a chance to do a, uh, a tour this last week, took Drew down to Mississippi State, and uh, uh, we got, a friend of mine knows the president of the university, and so we got to go into the president's uh, suite and talk with the president of the university, and, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things, I'm like, oh, we in the president's office, you know, and uh, I missed the national championship trophy that Mississippi State won in baseball. It was sitting in his office, and Drew saw it and I didn't even see it. I, you know, I don't know what I was doing, but I wasn't paying attention clearly to that. And, and so we showed a lot of reverence to him, a lot of honor to him. He's the president of Mississippi State. How much more honor, and that's the point that he's making, how much more honor should we show to the Lord, our God and our King? How much more? And so he says, you wouldn't offer things like this to the president of Mississippi State. If the president of the state was coming, I wouldn't find some sickly or like, I wouldn't smell the chicken and go, I think this is okay. <laughs> We've got a day left. Let's cook it. <laughs> I wouldn't do that because I wanted to honor him if he were coming to my house to eat. You know what I'm saying? So we would go, nah, let's go to Kroger and buy some new chicken, you know. Uh, uh, and so that's exactly what he's saying here. He's like, uh, God gets the castoffs from you guys. He said, I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with this. We, we'll just take the stuff to the dump or I guess we'll just give it to the church. Uh, that, that's what he was saying. That's what you people do. That's what he was telling the people. That's how you treat me. I remember early days of refuge. Uh, we got a lot of castoffs, right? Remember that? We, we got a lot of castoff stuff and we were thankful to get the castoff stuff. I mean, we got... Uh, we got chairs, old hard white chairs that we sat in in our first service. Uh, we had old rickety, uh, heavy wood. I think there's some of them still back there. Uh, heavy wood tables that we would use for uh, any event that we might have had. Uh, we got a, uh, like four old upright pianos <laughs> that we picked up, and we're like, they were. We had multiple people go, "You want a piano?" And we're like, "We'll take anything you've got." Uh, and so we would go pick up these old upright pianos. Somebody gave us an old organ that <laughs> never got used. Um, um, because we had no resources. We, we had nothing when we started. And, and so by God's grace, we took all the castoffs during the time. Uh, and that was, that was us in the early days. But God speaks of his disdain toward things like that when you give it to him. God doesn't want our old cast off tables. 
God didn't want our old, I'm not using this anymore. If it doesn't go to the dump, I'll give it to the church kind of stuff. That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for whatever I got left, I'll just give to the church. He's not talking about the sick lambs. He's not talking about the sick goats. He's not talking about those who are blind and maimed. That's not the offerings that God was looking for. Can't do anything else with it, so I'll give it to God. I'll use it for a sacrifice. God told them, I want your first fruits. I want the very first. I want the very best from you. I'm giving you my very best. And God was always giving to Israel his very best. We end up seeing that God the Son gave himself for us. And so he said, I just want the very best uh, from you. Uh, back in the Old Testament, they were doing the sacrificial system. That They prescribed what that should look like. A spotless lamb. Bring a spotless lamb to the altar. Why would they say a spotless lamb without spot or blemish? Why, why, why was, was God very specific about that? You know why? It's a picture of the Lamb of God who was to come, right? It was a picture of Jesus. Remember the New Testament tells us, Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats or lambs or anything at all like that does not take away your sin. It took the, the precious blood of Jesus. So all that was just a type and shadow of the perfect Lamb of God. And so God's people were always called to give their best to a sacrifice because it was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus. And so, again, God was saying, don't, you wouldn't give these things to the governor. You wouldn't give second-rate gifts to him. Why do you think God should accept them? And again, I say it's because of this. Because of their flippant attitude toward the things of God. And it came out of apathy. Just whatever. I'll do it when I can. And God tells them that. Look what it says in verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Then God turns his attention outside of Israel and kind of gives a glimpse of his future plans to make his name great, uh, not just among Israel, but among the rest of the world. Look what it says in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. He, he's, telling, he's telling Israel, he's like, Hey, I see what you're doing here, but you need to know that this is, my name's not going to be just great among you. It's going to be great among all the nations. All of the nations. Then look what it says in verse 12 and 13. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what, is a, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you shall bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Again, sacrifices to them at that point had just kind of become an afterthought. Again, I've got a sickly sheep. He, he reiterates it here. I've got a sickly sheep. I'll just bring that to the Lord. Here's a goat that can't even stand up. It's got three legs. I'll, uh, I'll bring that goat, the old three-legged goat to God. He said, no, that's not the offering that I'm looking for for you. Such disdain the people had 
for honoring the Lord. And then, and God let them know that in verse 14. Look what it said. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. See what he said? He's like, cursed be you who've got a fine uh, animal for a sacrifice, and you pledge it somewhere else, and then you give me whatever's left over. Whew. That's probably landing some bombs close to some people in this joint. I'm going to give my best somewhere else. Lord, whatever you got, you'll get what I got left over, Lord. He goes on. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So this first message from the Lord was about bringing paltry sacrifices to the Lord and their apathy that they had, and it kindled the anger of the Lord. Let's go to chapter 2. God is not gentle in his rebuke. Look what it says, first nine verses. And now, O priest, this command is for you. So he turns to the priest. He says, this is for you, boys. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse among you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. In your face. The dung of your offsprings in your face and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave, I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from this way. You have caused many to stumble in, from your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Whew. Let me say this. It is a um, heavy weight to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a heavy weight. Yes, there are many times that we get to rejoice with families, and we love those times. We, I, I love to officiate weddings. They're full of joy and laughter and smiles and things like that. I love Sunday morning gatherings to hug your neck or shake your hand or pat little kids on the head or whatever those kind of things are. I, I love that part of being a pastor. I love that part of getting a chance to interact with you, our church family, uh, together. Uh, I love it whenever... Uh, people move from death to life, and we, we get to baptize people. That's a glorious thing to get the chance to get into the water with people and, and, and baptize people or, or watch people be baptized. I love that. Uh, I, we love to set up our baptismal and, and, and see that tangible expression of that. But many times in ministry, it's chocked full of heartache and disappointment and weariness rejection. And I'll tell you, if, if somebody is not called by the Holy Spirit of God into gospel ministry, 
It's just too difficult of a role to live in um, to continue in it and just grind your teeth and just tough it out. It, it'll, it will crush you. It, it is, the weight of it is heavy and it will crush you if that's not what you're called to do. So, unfortunately, some so-called ministers turn to other means of ministry. And that's what Malachi speaks to here. He's like, you priests have gone and, and completely gone away from your calling in what God calls you to do. And that happens today that, that many pastors turn to other means of ministry, preaching another Jesus. Not that there is another Jesus, but preaching one that doesn't come from the Scripture, that doesn't align with the Scriptures. Verses 5 and 6 talk about Levi being sent from the Lord, and, and he was a true messenger of the Lord. Look, look what it says in verse 7 again. For the lips of a priest should guard, uh, should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. We say this regularly at Refuge. If you ever hear us preaching and teaching something that is contrary to the Scriptures, then, hey, if we're unwilling to change or we're unwilling to move away from our own view instead of the view of the Scriptures, leave this church and find someplace else that preaches the gospel. Don't stay if you find us teaching something that is contrary to the Scriptures. And that's what was happening. He said, Levi did this thing right. Levi did it right. But the people went looking for something else. Here's what I found lots of times is people who preach gospel ministry, expository preaching, verse by verse through the, through the, through the Scriptures, we're not the most sexy when it comes to churches. Okay? I don't know if you've looked around, but this ain't the flashiest of joints. You know what I'm saying? And we're okay with that. We're okay with that. Because our calling is not to have some flashy, flash, flash stuff. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> but we are called to preach the gospel to you faithfully, weak after week after week, thus says the Lord of God. Not thus says Scott, but thus saith the, word, the, the God of all creation. Here's what he has to say to us. And, and so what people were doing is they were moving to something else. Look what it says in verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have, cursed, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so people start looking for something else. And uh, he says, you've turned aside. You've caused many to stumble. You've corrupted the covenant from Levi. And they began to preach another message. I have no respect for any so-called pastor that denies the sufficiency of Scripture. Zero. I don't care who they are. I don't care how big their churches are. I don't care what TV ministry they've got. I have zero respect for someone who can't agree with what the Scripture says and be some mealy-mouthed kind of garbage that they spout out there because they don't want to offend anybody. If I hurt your feelings because I preach something from the Scripture, get over it. Okay? I, I have no respect for anyone who denies the authority of the Word of God, who denies the authenticity of the Word of God. I don't know why they're in ministry, if that's the, the tact that they take. They've corrupted their positions, 
They've turned their people away from the Lord. They're teaching a false Jesus and preaching a different gospel. Many warnings in the scripture about preachers, so-called preachers like that. You've heard us say expository preaching is a high value for us here at Refuge. Verse by verse preaching through the text. Uh, it's not the only way to do it, but I think it's the right way to do it. Because I'm just going to tell you it's too easy to skip over the hard stuff. Kind of like this one. Too easy to skip over the hearts. There's a lot of nice platitudes. There's a lot of nice things to say in the scriptures for sure. But there's a lot of hard things that God put in his word for us to see and for us to understand. All of God's scripture is profitable. We preach through the minor prophets for goodness sake. Anybody ever sat through preaching through the minor prophets? Not me. Well, you you can all raise your hands now because we all have now. (laughs) We've all sat through it and we've all worked our way through the minor prophets. We definitely need to hear what God says in his word and not what we have to say. In Malachi's day, his second message was this very thing. That the people of God turned away from the Lord because their appetites for profane teaching and preaching were strong. They didn't want to hear what God had to say. And would hear something else that made them feel better about themselves. And Malachi turns to their personal lives. Look in uh, verse 10. And I have in my notes through verse 116, but that's not right. Uh, Through 16, 10 through 16. (laughs) Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant from the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because no one, no one, Uh, For he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness uh, between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So what's happening here is basically the men during this time were abandoning their wives. They're walking out on them. Leaving them. Uh, honestly, it doesn't necessarily specifically say it in this text, but commentators say they were turning to some of the Philistine women. Some of those outside, and we, we get a glimpse of that into this, uh, but, but they were turning to like the Philistine women and going, hey, she's kind of cute. I'll go over there. I know she ain't from around here and all, but uh, uh, she's kind of cute. So they were turning to the Philistine women of the day, finding them maybe a younger wife, one who hadn't gone through the trenches with him. And the Lord was angry about it. Yeah, honestly, we see that in 2023. 
We see that in our own culture today where people just get tired of being married to one another and go, I'll just find another girlfriend. I'll just find another boyfriend. I'll just find somebody else to give my affections to. I'm married to this person, but we're kind of into it right now. And she gets on my nerves and he gets on my nerves. But this person's always nice to me at the office. Maybe I'll have my conversations with them. I don't really have anything to say to you, but I'll give you all my attention, all my conversation. Before long, this gets kindled. Why is this getting kindled? Because we're getting face-to-face and (laughs) talky-talky. That's cute. And over here, it's like, oh, you're going to wear that today? You know, that's what the conversations look like. You get on my nerves. Quit snoring. You have to make that noise, you know. All those kind of things like that. That's the, that's the way this thing kind of happens. I'm so tired of you, but you're cute, you know. That's the way it goes. Some of you may be right in the middle of that right now. I mean, some of you may be right over here. You've got a husband or wife right here, but you're enjoying this portion right here. God told them, he said, you're together because I wanted to have godly offspring from you. Godly offspring, but now you're profaning the marriages that I've put together with my people to chase after these Philistine loose women. And so, if you remember, Nehemiah talked about this a little bit. And Nehemiah pulled like a, uh, three Stooges bit from Larry, Moe, and Curly and was like slapped them upside the head. It was like, what are you doing, dudes? What are you doing? Wake up. Go back to the wife of your youth. And some of you need to have the same thing happen to you. Like if I had Mo here from the Three Stooges, I would send him out there to slap you upside the head, some of you. Because you need to be. You need to be slapped upside the head and go, what are you doing? Pay attention to what you're doing. Where have you run off to? Quit chasing that whore around somewhere and go back to your wife. Things like this make me angry, angry, angry. That men will play the boy role And act like you're 20, chasing some skirt somewhere, rather than loving the wife that's given her life to you, and vice versa. Women do it too. You women make me angry that do it too. Have these stupid affairs. Golly, it makes me angry. God was especially angry with Israel for abandoning their wives. The wives couldn't abandon their husbands during this day. You can do it now. You can get a $99 divorce if you want one. Some of you don't even have the decency to do that before you go find somebody else. He was angry with them for abandoning their wives. He said, this is not to be. And I'll say it as your pastor. Some of you may never come back. Well, shame on you for not coming back. But if this is where you're living, then stop it. Go back to your husband. Stop it. Go back to your wife. How about rekindle that love affair? So he goes on. 
Let, let's keep going. Oh. Chapter 3. Where's the Tylenol? First five verses of chapter three. Here's what he says. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness Righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of the Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord in the days of old as in their former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And so, um, I think that this is a, especially early on in chapter 3, I think it's a clear prophecy speaking forward to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner uh, uh, for Jesus. And, um, uh, and so I, he was coming to declare that the Messiah had come, the Deliverer had come. And, and, and so this was uh, Malachi saying, he didn't really know there was going to be 400 years of silence. But right after Malachi, just FYI, if you didn't know this, between the last page of Malachi and the first page of Matthew, it was like 400 years. They don't even hear from the Lord anymore. And the next person on the scene is John the Baptist. He, he says, make way, make way for the, the Lord is coming. The, the Lord is here. Make way. And, and so uh, that, that's what Malachi, I believe, was referring to uh, uh, in that thing. And then I think he really kind of touches on the second coming of the Lord, uh, that, that, hey, there's going to come another one. And, and, and he talks about that in these first few verses here. Uh, and, and so he didn't really, again, know what he was talking about, I believe. There's a lot of prophecy, I think, in Malachi that he didn't have the full picture. He had lived in kind of a veiled, necessarily, view, but was saying what the Lord had him to say. I'm not even sure that Malachi fully understood all all the things that he was saying. And so in the first coming uh, of Jesus, we see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and again, in the second coming of Jesus has yet to happen. It hasn't, Jesus hasn't come back a second time that. Uh, but on that great day of the Lord, Malachi speaks to what happens to particular groups of people. Look at verse 5. He says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says uh, the Lord of hosts. And so in that day of the Lord, that's not the day you want to be on the opposite side of the Lord. Okay? That's not the day that you want to be on the wrong side. And so that's why every time that we meet in a time like this, that we encourage you to come to Jesus. We encourage you to repent of your sins and believe the good news of the, do the gospel. Today can be your the day of your salvation. So you don't have to face the Lord in that way. And, and so uh, let me keep going because we got a lot, still got a lot to cover. Uh, then we get to some of the fa preacher's favorite verses in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. This is all about tithing and how I think that it has been poorly used uh, throughout history uh, from pulpits around uh, probably the world. Uh, let's read what it says. So my uh, heading in this 
says robbing God in my Bible. Verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers have been turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Will you, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and, off, and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring, to the, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the, devour, the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not um, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of uh, walking in the mountains before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers and not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So let's think about this. Why did the uh, tribes of Israel tithe? Why did they take a tenth of a portion of what they had and give it into the temple? Why did they do that? I'll tell you why they did it. Anybody know, anybody, uh, know the uh, tribe called the Levites? I'm going to assume you have heard of them. Uh, the Levites, were, where did the Levites work? Yes, in the temple. So the Levites worked in the temple. So they didn't have cattle, and they didn't have land, and they didn't have things like that. And what did the other tribes of Israel do so that they had something to live off of? They gave a tithe. Yes, they gave a portion of what they had. Each tribe gave a portion of what they had, and they gave it into the temple, the whole tithe from everybody else, so that the rest of the people, they had 90% of their stuff, and they lived off 90%. And then the 10% that each of them gave made a portion for the people in the temple. And so they gave cattle, and they gave grain, they gave all kinds of offerings, and that's how the people in the temple who were serving actually lived off of, because the other people were, uh, 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 had their own ways to make money, and so they lived off of the tithe. Uh, and so it was like their kinfolks were in need, but they were unwilling to uh, uh, help them out. They, and so they were shorting them is what was happening in Malachi. Now, yes, t in today's world, we actually do support the people in the refuge. I mean, or at least we should support the people in refuge. And we've got three full-time guys. I'm full-time. Uh, Pastor Blake is full-time. Uh, Pastor PJ is full-time. And then we have three part-time staff that work here. Uh, and, and so we, we say, man, we, we need to eat and we need to make a living. That's what we do full-time. We don't have other uh, full-time jobs. Uh, and, and so we, we need to do that too, but not, not just us. And we have to keep the lights on and we have to cut the grass and we have to buy copy paper and we have to uh, do, do all kinds of things. We support ministries. We support other people, uh, uh, church plants around the world. We support the Navajos. We do lots of things with the money that you give regularly that comes in. And so we ask you to give regularly, generously, and sacrificially regularly. That, that's just, you know, a systematic way. Maybe you give once a month. Maybe you give twice a month. Maybe you give every week. 
Uh, generously. We ask you to be generous people in your giving so that we can continue to do the work here at, Re- at Refuge. And we would say sacrificially because God calls us to give sacrificially of ourselves, of our time, of our treasure, of our talents, not to just flippantly give some, t- some type of offering. And so we say this all the time. God doesn't need your money, but the Refuge Church does to continue to doing the work that we've been doing for 14 years here in this place. Now, here's what I'll say. Some of you need to start giving. Some of you give a big round number to refuge. You know what that number is? Zero, zilch, nada. You give nothing. You show up here, you drink the coffee, sit in the air conditioning or the heat. You enjoy adequate preaching and really good music. (laughs) But some of you don't give a dime to the work of the ministry. That amazes me. Absolutely amazes me. Some of you need to examine what you give. Some of you, as the offering plate comes by, you go, oh, what have I got here? Oh, there's some uh, uh, paper clip and uh, uh, 32 cents. You know what? I got a dollar in this pocket. I got a dollar. Uh, uh, And you put your dollar in the plate because you didn't think about what it was and you just flippantly give whatever's in your pocket. Kind of like the people during Malachi's day. Eh, I'll give whatever. Some of you need to evaluate what you give. Honestly, what you've given, you've been giving for the last six years, the same amount. Doesn't like you've ever even looked at it again. Some of you need to increase what you give. You've made some big uh, windfall of a... uh, a job, you've increased your income and, and you need to give more to the work of the ministry. Some of you need to give less because you, your job's changed. You don't make as much money anymore. Maybe one of you doesn't work and you've gone to a single income household. You need to give less because you've got less money to give to the work of the ministry. That's what Malachi was, God was saying, man, you're robbing God by not contributing to the work of uh, uh, the, the 10% that should go here. We say, we're New Testament people, we're Gentiles, we, we're not, you know, we're not Jews during this time, we're not supporting the work of the temple, although we are supporting the work of the church. And so we say give regularly, generously, sacrificially to the work of the ministry here. Some of that doesn't set well with you, it is what it is. Y'all all right? Okay, let's keep going. That's all I'm going to say about that until we take up the offering. Uh, <laughs> some of you we may stop and just hold the plate there I'm just kidding 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 all right verse 16 here's what he says um, then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another the Lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. He said, man, here's the book of remembrance. Who's in and who is not? Who's in the book of remembrance? Who's not in the book of remembrance? Let me just tell you this. Don't fool yourself and just assume that you are written in the book of remembrance. Don't fool yourself. 
Don't assume anything about whether or not your name is written in the book of remembrance. Examine yourself. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of remembrance? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? It's only there if you have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about knowing who he is. I'm not talking about knowing facts about who he is. Any of us can know facts because we can read them. We can hear people talk about them and go, okay, that's a fact, that's a fact. I understand all those facts. But I'm talking about trusting in his finished work, realizing that you have no hope on your own uh, to move from this life into the next life and having a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit living within you. No hope outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. None. And again, I'm not talking about just knowledge. I'm talking about a heart change where you are changed from the inside out. Where the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells you and you can't help but be somebody different because the Holy Spirit indwells you. A change in your life. Have you been changed by the Holy Spirit of God? Let me review and we're going to close. Sorry, this, these prophets run long. Essentially, Malachi came along at a time when the people were really struggling to believe that God actually loved them. And so they wandered and they doubted they began to go through the motions. And you have to ask yourself, is that you today? Going through the motions. It's easy to happen. And so the places we covered were this. Am I somebody that brings a paltry sacrifice to the Lord? And am I just going through the motions in that? Am I... Would I rather listen to somebody who will tickle my ears than to listen to gospel preaching, even if it's difficult like today? Or would I rather just go listen to somebody that's going to tickle my ears and tell me something to make me feel better about myself? Am I somebody who has abandoned the husband or wife of my youth because I'm after some other fling, some other momentary joy? Is that where I'm living? Is that the space that I'm living in today? Am I robbing God like Malachi talks about where I'm not even supporting the work of the church that I call my own? Even the most important part, though, is my name written in the book of remembrance. My name written in the Lamb's book of life. You have to answer those questions today. Let me close with what he says in chapter 4 because it's very important. 4.1 is the most, I'll do that because for lack of time. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, uh, that day is coming, excuse me, the day is, sorry, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Do you find yourself as part of the family of God? 
Maybe you, like many in Malachi writes about, have turned from the Lord, you're under his judgment, and you need his mercy and his salvation. Maybe that's what, why you're here today. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit brought you here today. The New, Testament, the New Testament writer says this. They say things like this. These things have I written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. That Jesus came and he died, the godly for the ungodly. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We sing a song that says, your forgiveness was bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Are you still dead in your sins? Is your name written in God's book of remembrance? Today, it can be. If you come to Jesus. Let me pray for us.